Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought I'd tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Okay, before I take you to the podcast, I want to give you a little bit of a reminder about the power of focus and accountability. This is the one tool that will really get you towards the goals you are seeking, towards the path you want to take. So listen to the end to find out more or check out the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get you back to the podcast. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people. And what I have discovered is that our story is everything. Because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? I wanted something that was going to be uplifting and mm. that would fill me with enthusiasm and joie de vivre <clears throat> again. I just wanted to enjoy life. Hello, it's Easter week and I'm taking a bit of a break from some editing. So I thought to share with you a podcast from June 2021 with Robin Harris called Soul Alignment. It's an interesting story, as these things always are, and I will leave my younger self to tell you more about it. It is a story of how following a passion can sometimes take us to a place of hopelessness. However, there is a happy outcome. When I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up, Robin's considered reply was Dr. Doolittle. It is hardly surprising then that the future held a place for animals and for language interpretation, albeit a very different type of interpretation than the fictional character. Robin's journey begins with her shared passion for nature and animals. She says that she, it plays a big part in the work that she now does as a soul alignment mentor. Her passion for language began while studying Latin at school and led to a university degree in British Sign Language. After qualifying, Robin became a sign language interpreter. For her, the work was about sharing her desire to communicate by giving deaf people the opportunity to be understood and connect with the world around them. Our conversation takes an insightful look into the world of signing and touches on the qualities that the deaf community can bring to the rest of us from their unique perspective on life. It also reveals the challenges they face integrating, being understood and having their needs met in a world that is clearly not designed for them. Robin loved the work, however being the bridge between these two separate communities was often stressful, and over time it took its toll. The interpreter is not permitted to express their opinion and she found it challenging to witness how deaf people were treated and often misrepresented. This distress eventually led to stress, ill health and depression and she now sees that as a lack of soul alignment. So seeking help, Robin found that traditional medicine in the UK only offered to fix the symptoms with drugs. The other option was counselling, and while it was effective, it could not solve the deeper inherent problems. 
Robin's search for alternatives opened a completely new world to her. It started with evolutionary enlightenment with Andrew Cohen, and his work is about the awakening of the consciousness and the bigger ideas of who we are as humans. From there, Robin discovered Reiki and eventually meta-consciousness that led her to the understanding of her condition and the true path of healing. In this part of the conversation, we talk about how unresolved thoughts and feelings lead to illness and how energy medicine connects with the physical world. Today, Robin is the founder of Equi-Energy Wellbeing Naturally. She describes herself as a soul alignment mentor and works with people who are at the end of their rope and needing support. Quoting Oprah Winfrey, she says, A mentor is somebody who helps you see the hope within yourself. Robin's personal story of returning to health and wellness from a place of hopelessness and depression is inspiring and accomplished without drugs or traditional Western medicine. Her journey involved love, compassion and personal soul alignment. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Robin Harris. I am so pleased today to be talking to Robin Harris and thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the line and working with me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be here on your podcast. Thank you, Paul. Well, this is life, passion and business. We are all about that journey that we are on, the journey of life. Because there has to be more to it, doesn't there, really? But, you know, some people, we all have our own journey and everyone has a choice of journey. So what's your journey been like? Where did it all start for you? The journey that I'm kind of currently on, the work uh, around well-being, started, well, I originally thought that it started, say, about 10 years ago. But actually, looking back, I think it started way before that. I think it's something that's kind of been there underlying most of my life. Uh, particularly because I've always had a passion for nature. I've always had a passion for animals and they very much come into what I do. And I think it took me going away from that Mm -hmm. to realizing the impact that it had on me Mm -hmm. or how I'd been drawn away from that and how that impacted on me and my well-being Mm -hmm. that then brought me back around and gave me a deeper appreciation of why those things are so important in my life and why it's important for everybody to have those passions and to connect in with them. They don't necessarily have to be nature and animals, uh, though that is part of what I shared, share, but it's really more about just getting back to who we really are uh, and, and that journey. So how did it start for you? I mean, what did you want to be when you, when you, you know, when you started on this journey as a, as a child, did you have a childhood dream? Uh, I don't know that I did as a very small child. I never really had a concept of growing older at mm-hmm. all. I never mm-hmm. really had a vision of a life beyond, I guess, school. I just, that, that was as far as my vision went. It must be a boy thing, because all the boys want to be Indiana Jones or, or astronauts. Or something <laughs> like that, you know. my, my last podcast is wanting to be Indiana Jones, you know, and it's like, it's, it's quite interesting. And others want to be, in fact, one of my guests wanted to be, wants, wanted to be an astronaut. And he's actually looking at the possibility of paying for it, because he can't actually afford to do you that. Can now. Know. Yeah, yeah, and he said, he said, if it gets below 50 grand, you'd probably think about doing it. <laughs> wow. I think possibly what I would have liked to be is something like Dr. Doolittle when I was very, very small. Yeah. So I think there's, 
uh, often been an animal perspective to what I would like to do. And then later when I was at school, I <clears throat> learned about sign language. Mm-hmm. And so that took me down a, a route where I became an interpreter in sign language between sign language and English, mm. because I'm passionate and fascinated by language and communication and connection and how that works and about words and the, the creative power that words have in our life. Mm. So you've always been but, a good writer? Um, I don't think my school teachers would have thought so, no. <laughs> I remember getting lots of red marks on my essays when they were return to me well we have to fail but somewhere just, don't we we have to fail forward it, don't we we have to get <laughs> i guess so yeah but yeah i've always loved playing with how to express things mm-hmm. and i think that's what fascinated me so much about sign language because it was such a different modality mm-hmm. i'd always been interested in language we did latin at school and very few people actually speak latin but it's a it's a route for so many other languages so it gives you an understanding of many of the romance languages which I've used when I've been on holiday so it's it's a great thing to have that skill or or looking at medications as well because the idea of Latin is wonderful but the reality of it is quite difficult yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. learning it I think is quite difficult but just getting the understanding of how it works gives you a lot of tools to use in other areas I'm sure because as you say it's a root of most languages certainly most European languages yeah so where did your journey take you? Did you, did you, obviously you did the school route, did you do college? I did uh, school and then I did university and then I worked for a company and then I came back and I worked for the university at which I'd trained. What did you do but in university? The, it was the interpreting work. So oh, I, right. I came okay. back, I, I studied to be an interpreter and came back to that particular unit of the university that school within the university to interpret for the the staff and the students but I realized that it wasn't quite as I'd imagined it would be and it turned out to be very very stressful plus my life at home was quite stressful at that time and that was where I just started to kind of disengage with myself I guess not pay attention to my own needs and that's what led me to then just be in such a low place. And I was feeling like everything needed to change. And I was, you know, looking outside all the time. That has to change and that person needs to do things differently. And it was very disempowering, really, until I then did some studying because I'd gone to lots of different places to try and get help all the ones that you're told to go to go to your gp go to a counselor etc etc so, so when you say this 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 level what 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 could you put a word i mean is there a word you could put to this i mean is this depression is this something is what would you put to this uh, i kind of felt i suppose it was kind of numbness but a, a numbness in despair where mm. just there's no hope hopeless i think that's mm. that's really what i felt I guess there was depression. Um, there was a lot of frustration, uh, feeling like I just was going nowhere. I felt like I was in a dead end. Mm. This is very so, common, you know. I think this is very, this is yeah. very common, and and I think I think it's you know, you've recognised it. I think a lot of people don't recognise it, and they use um, outside stimulus to cover it. So they'll use drugs and, and other things to cover it, or they'll throw themselves into something, work or some other addictions, what have you, to 
to find a way of actually breaking it or find a way of getting through it. Absolutely. And I think probably most of us have gone through something along those lines at some point in our lives or several points in our lives. And that's where I was. That's what I was doing. Mm. But realizing that it really wasn't helping me in the way that I wanted. I wanted something that was going to be uplifting and mm. that would fill me with enthusiasm and joie de vivre <clears throat> again. I just wanted to enjoy life it's a nice again. word, joie de vivre. I haven't, I haven't heard Isn't that. It Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it's a it's lovely word. When it does, doesn't it? It encapsulates what you mean. It's, it does. It gets, yeah, I just want that, that, that thing. It's, it's, yes, I know exactly what you mean, yes. Yeah, wonderful. And I love those words, and I borrow them from other languages when I can as well, when I can't find them in English, that have a meaning that are so much more than the word itself. Mm -hmm. So mm. now that I live in Wales, I've taken on kutch. So that wonderful, warm, cosy, safe, that's so much more than, than the sum of its definition. I live in Scotland, and we have a word which is dreek. Yes. And it's dreek today. The rain is going sideways <laughs> out the window. It's definitely dreek today. <laughs> yeah, I tried to look for the, the more uplifting <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that one. But yeah, I agree. I'm more uplifting's better. But I'm, and and I'm, dreek, <laughs> some of these words, they just almost even if you don't speak the language. So if you don't speak Welsh, if you don't know the mm. Scottish traditions and, yeah. and culture, you still kind of get what those words mean. Yeah, you do. And huga is one that's being used a lot. Yeah, right? yeah, the Danish, the Danish yeah. idea of perfection by the by, you know, by the. Uh, uh, yes, huga. Yes, candles and sitting by the fire and books. Yeah, yeah. So again, that lovely, warm, cozy sense that you get behind these words. <coughs> so, your. Just to take us a little back so, so that we can fill the story in. I mean, so you, you went to university, you came back from university, went back to university to be an interpreter. This is sign language interpretation, isn't it? You yeah. Is it signing, which is sign language? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, was this a passion for you? Were you kind of driven? What was, what was the driver behind that? Is that about communication? Because that's, that's helping the deaf communicate, isn't it, effectively? People that can't communicate. My, yeah, my perspective on it was that... As an interpreter, you would level the playing field. Mm. You would give deaf people access where they hadn't had access before. Yeah. And so their lives could just be the same as anybody else's because they are very much a linguistic community. That's how deaf people with a capital D, British Sign Language using deaf people, see themselves as mm -hmm. a linguistic minority rather than as a disabled group. So my, per my perception of the role as a, of interpreter would be that that's what you would make for them, you would make a world where they were a linguistic minority, they weren't a disabled group. So now, look, ignorance here, I'm gonna to have to ask a stupid question here. So you've got British Sign Language, so do you have yeah. French Sign Language and German you, Sign Language? You have Langue de Signe François. Okay. Though so my pronunciation on that might be absolutely horrendous, but it's LSF, Okay. But yes, so, French so, so, Sign Language. So, so. And But it's interesting because we I'm, have- I'm sorry, uh, I'm gonna laugh, do they have a dog? <laughs> Do they have an accent? We, we have, we, <laughs> yes, 
They have an accent. And there's, there's a Scottish accent and a Welsh accent and all of these accents within British Sign Language as well. It's a fascinating. Oh, that's topic. A, no, I never. I know. I'm. I'm, I'm just laughing. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm making this up as I go along. I had no idea that there was a, there was an accent in sign language. I'm just joking about yeah. it, but there is. Okay. That is, yeah. That's almost like that stand up, that's almost stand up comedy worthy because some people wouldn't realise that. I know, and it can get you into a lot of trouble, believe me. But also, <laughs> we talked about Latin before and about how that is the root of many other language families. Yes. Sign language has language families as well. But so in America, you would think we speak English, they speak American English. Perhaps British Sign Language has an American, mm-hmm. a very similar equivalent. No. <clears throat> American Sign Language is related to French Sign Language, is related to Southern Irish Sign Language. Whereas Northern Irish Sign Language is related to British Sign Language and is also related to Australian Sign Language. Because they have a different route, obviously. They have a different... Because different of the way they've travelled and spread. Yes, yes, of course. It's not, they didn't come from the Latin, they came from themselves. So they're bound yes. to come from, from the root. Oh, I love this stuff. I love discovering these things. This is fascinating. So I, I can see why that would be interesting. I mean, did you... I mean, have you, are you... Are you fluent in multiple sign languages only sign only british sign language unfortunately i used to know some of the american i used to be able to use the southern irish version Mm. but i've not used them for so long now that i'm too rusty so okay so we've got this position now where you've lost something where where did the color drain out of it why did you lose it where did it go Uh, It was partly because of where I was working and the stress of that particular environment and also discovering that being an interpreter doesn't level the playing field at all. There are so many other issues at play. And I could see the way that deaf people were being treated. You think if a deaf person is a lecturer at a university, they're a lecturer at a university, same as any other lecturer, but they're not. And it was really difficult to watch that happening and to see the many ways that deaf people, I'm now passionate about how our lives seem to shrink when I was feeling in that sense of despair and hopelessness, my life just felt like it had shrunk, that there was no colour to it. Mm. It was just some dried up little husk. And I looked at deaf people's lives and I saw that their lives were being restricted. And there were so few options that were the, really the that is that, Did they know their lives were being restricted? Were they aware of it? Was it were you aware of it because you were a person that could hear? <clears throat> they were very much aware of it. Okay. And being as a being an interpreter as well is your persona non grata, because you don't fit into either world completely in that role. Plus, you are making a living from a language that deaf people aren't allowed to use. Mm. They are not taught it at school, by and large. Most schools that were specifically schools for deaf children, where they were able to get together even and just sign amongst themselves in playtime or lunchtime mm-hmm. or, you know, because they were often um, boarding schools, so they would have been able to maybe communicate at night in sign language. Yeah. But most of those schools are now being closed. Schools are generally mainstream schools. Right. And 
you might have the one deaf child in the whole of the school. Okay. So they have no opportunity to use their own language. language. They don't get taught their own language, generally speaking. So if you don't have access to a language that is easy and smooth for you, then Mm. things right from the get-go are a struggle. Mm. I I didn't realize how tough that was. I always thought deaf people were were, um, educated in that and, and supported in that. I hadn't realized they weren't. They are, but it it happens from a very hearing-centric perspective. And, for example, a deaf child might be taken out of regular classes to just have have support in the lessons that they weren't able to access through English. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of repetition and they miss out on chunks of the curriculum because Mm -hmm. they just don't have proper access to it. Mm -hmm. And if you think about maths as well, they start off being very, very good at maths because it's just numbers but as soon as you develop into the maths that needs <coughs> maths that needs language so you're talking about two trains coming down a track one one way one the other way or how many men did it take to build a, to dig a hole mm-hmm. or whatever that were, as soon as you start bringing english into it then deaf people start slipping backwards yeah, yeah, yeah. relative to their peers so i can see why that would trouble you if if you were well, it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, still does. And just the work environment as a whole was very stressful. Mm. So there was work stress, there was home stress, and I was just shutting down bits of myself because it was just too stressful and too uncomfortable, mm. and ended up making myself quite ill. Mm. So. Clearly, the medical profession wasn't going to help you. What was the solution? Yeah. So I went to the GP and they gave me tablets and those didn't help and I didn't like them. Mm. I went to a counsellor and that didn't help. So I thought I'm not getting anywhere with anything out there. I'm just going to have to go off and do some research. So I did a lot of reading. I went on a course called Evolutionary Enlightenment based on a book by the same name by Andrew Cohen. Mm -hmm. and uh, I studied Reiki, then I went and studied with the Healing Trust and started to learn a lot more about how our bodies actually work and their relationship to their inner environment and to the environment around them as well Mm -hmm. and explored that more and more and then went on to do Metaconsciousness, which is all about that. Metaconsciousness? Meta consciousness, so an overarching consciousness about how the body interrelates with its environment. Wow, and its responses to that. So, if we have a symptom, why do we have that symptom, and why now? Why at this time in that part of our body? And I've spoken to energy healers before, and they will tell me that the that that it, it it hits on the outer periphery of your energy, and then it starts to work its way in, and depending on where you are. Would depend whether you can repel it or whether you bring it in. Our understanding in metaconsciousness is that an incident happens, mm. and if it's unexpected, dramatic, we feel very isolated in that we can't talk to anybody else about it, mm. and we have no coping strategy in that moment. Then the body goes, Ah, what do I do with this thing? Mm-hmm. And the head brain, the heart brain, and the gut brain all kind of come together and they work out what kind of a an issue is this 
what part of the body would normally deal with this kind of an issue? And even our vocabulary, again, coming back to words, gives it away. So do I think that I need to break it down? Do I need to digest it? Do I need mm. to assimilate it? In which case it'll go into the gut somewhere. Uh, do I, does it kind of smell bad to me? Does it leave a bad taste in my mouth? Am I struggling to get my head around it? And it'll go into, you know, the sinuses or I'll get a headache because the tension is all being held in my head. So this, and there are four different brain relays. So whichever brain relay it hits, is it a survival thing? Is it protection? Is it my sense of self-worth? Or is it connection with the environment and with people around me? So it, whichever one of those it affects, it'll then affect the part of the body. And it's all just embryology, you know, which part of the body develops at the same time as that brain relay. Wow. So what did you discover in yourself having done all this work? <clears throat> well, I had migraine headaches and I had IBS. So I had stuff that I was struggling mm. to really get my head around. I had stuff that I was struggling to digest. Digest and, and, digest and eliminate by the sounds of it, because that's what I did. Well, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So I was then able to narrow that time. Well, what is it that I'm struggling with? What is it that I'm not able to digest, not able to get out from my life? and then to take action that was much more targeted and directed and therefore effective. Mm -hmm. But just also to understand my, what, what's the underlying belief? What filter was I using to look at the world? And how could I then reframe that, turn that around, make it something that was much more supportive? Mm -hmm. What beliefs did I have? Where did those come from? When, when and why did I form those ones? And could I knowing that then take steps to change them that, that's quite a journey isn't it i mean you did that on your own no i i was very fortunate that i started the journey on my own mm. but i then you know when the student is ready the teacher will appear i'm unpicking beliefs uh, you know they, they are they're wicked little buggers and they won't come out they they, they got bloody hooks mm. on them they, they have to be unpicked really carefully and they tend, you kind of try to narrow down and, and pinpoint them and they sneak off in another direction. Mm, yes, yes. They're I know, elusive I know, I know that they're elusive little things. And, and you know, I, I mean, I've unpicked beliefs. I've done it, been doing it for years, but I've done it a lot. I've done a little bit with people. A lot of it I've done with affirmation. I've done by overlaying the thing. So probably it's still bloody there, just covered up under affirmations. <laughs> well, I think... Uh, Dr. David Hamilton wrote his book, uh, I Heart Me, mm. all about neuroplasticity and how yeah. we can kind of support ourselves. I suspect ourselves. that's it. I've grown things. I've grown channels bigger than those beliefs so they don't actually affect exactly. them. They don't have the same and, power. And possibly you've made new connections that are so strong that the other ones have faded away yeah. and or at least are so ineffective now mm. because they're so weak. Mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me so where did this lead you because you did all this work were you still were you still interpreting at this point all this time yeah yeah and did that uh, did it did it get easier did you find balance in this 
I think it got a little bit easier because I had the other stuff that was what supports me and builds me and and because the crap part of it is is the bit that made you feel uncomfortable is still there it's not going to go away deaf people are still being misrepresented or or, or unsupported yeah so now I tend to work in different arenas Mm. I did a lot of work in health I was it was a fascinating project I was involved with last year which is bringing um, mindfulness really to deaf people in the deaf community so I like to work in that sort of thing that uses my skills from both sides, my skills around well-being, mm. but also with sign language. So I love it when I can combine the two. Yes, taking the mindfulness into the deaf community must be really interesting because they, they, they yeah, I, I say they talking to them like as though they're someone else. But uh, you know, as a as a humans that have evolved from a different perspective without the sense of without the sense of hearing, they must have a completely different set of things to deal with. And they have a, a fascinating way of, uh, they're called visual language peoples in some circles. So they have such a valuable perception of the world. We all have our own lenses through which we look at the world, but the deaf community <clears throat> as a collective, the first start, they're much more of a collective than we are generally in British culture because we're quite individualistic. But the deaf community really hold together as a community and also they're very very visually oriented mm-hmm. understandably yeah so they can then bring that perspective and help people like myself and you know general hearing population to be much more visual to use that sense in a different way it's like i think anybody who has a different perception of the world really has rich uh, things to share with the rest of us so that we can then maybe get some of that color and flavor from them too and he's just opening up loads of questions from this conversation and i'm so this is not this is not about you on some respects this is becoming about something else because it's like i'm suddenly realizing i i reckon deaf people are probably not rep- represented politically in this country there's not a single deaf mp is there not a sign language using mp certainly I mean, you sh- used to have jack ashley lord jack ashley but he was deafened rather than yeah. a member of the deaf but it would be, But even though it would be really difficult for someone who is deaf to engage in our political system because it's yeah. all about speaking. Yeah. I, I don't know how you would change it. I don't know how you would do anything different. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. It does open a huge amount of, uh, of, of conversation here for me. So uh, where are you now? I mean, where, where do you, where do you, and obviously this, this is, you've been doing this work for a while, I take it on yourself well-being work yes Yes. I I started my journey of building this business uh back in 2011 okay so what is the what is the well-being business so I use a lot of different energy techniques I help people to uh work out what the root causes are like we were talking about earlier and then how do they best address them for themselves because we are so individual and each person's journey is individual to them so it's supporting people in really tuning in to who they are uh, at their deeper deepest soul self I call it Mm. so their deeper most inner heart and soul what is that guiding them to do? Because when we can really listen to that intuition, it lets us know when something is right, even when we don't know why. 
it's right for me or something is off. I know that everybody's telling me I should do this and society thinks it's right. But for me, it's just ooh, not right. It, it's about that thing about getting used to using your intuition and get used to senses, isn't it? Really getting used to to, to sit, to feel it. Yeah, exactly. It's all about feeling. And what is fascinating is when you speak to all sorts, and I spoke to a lot of people, you realise, that was one of the, I did this event last year called Spirituality. And one of the reasons I put this event on is that I had so many people on the podcast who would come and talk to me about something that happened to them, which was about connecting with their intuition, connecting with something greater than themselves, but they never realised it It was actually a spiritual connection they were talking about. But I think we we have maybe this <clears throat> thought that a spiritual connection should be a religious one. Whereas to me, a spiritual connection is just anything that uplifts you. And anything that helps you to connect with who you really are and to understand the beauty and, and the, the wonder and the majesty of who you really are. I get the sense of it for me. It's a, a, well, having done that event as well, it was very reinforced. It's a, <clears throat> it's a sense of connecting with the essence of life, the essence of, of your life and other life. It's about, and it can happen anywhere. You just connect with things or stuff. <clears throat> and even just understanding what is this thing we call life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One well, of the speakers that on that event, one thing on the event said, actually, like, you can connect with anything. And, and she actually took me through a process where I actually connected with the table and then connected with the chair I was sitting on because it's, it's, all, it's all part of the made of the same stuff. There's no difference. It's just, just I move, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just the energy at a different vibration. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It's, and it was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, I've just rewatched the film, The Matrix. It's kind of just like that. It's just all the same stuff but in different vibration and different, therefore, our sense of it in, is it solid? Is it moving? Is it whatever? It's funny, this story has been, you know, that the matrix or the, the kind of things around that connection stuff, that has been in, in literature and in work for thousands of years. It keeps coming back and people keep looking at it and it keeps getting refreshed and coming back. Yeah. Um, I mean, even down to the science fiction work I was reading in my teens, I think Isaac Asimov read, wrote some mm-hmm. stuff and some of his, I can see what he's getting at. Now I read it. And you think if this, if these things are recurring themes, there's something to them. There's something that draws us back to them, to re-explore them, to come at them from different angles and to mm. create new theories around them and use them in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think kind of shows that they're existential, that they're a part of, of life. They're a part of the questions that we ask, the exploration that we do mm, yeah, through yeah. this thing we call life and living and yeah. the journey that we take. Okay, look, I need to get, I need to move us on because I could get, I, I'm getting hooked in. <laughs> I always get bloody hooked in. <laughs> okay, how do you measure success? How has success been measured on your journey? For me, success is about feeling well, whatever that means for an individual. And for me, it's not just that I don't feel sick, but it's feeling like I'm enthused about life and I'm, want to explore things I want to find out more I love learning so whatever that learning is whether it's book learning or it's experiential learning or it's just living learning I love it all Mm -hmm. or finding out more about people I'm fascinated by people I'm fascinated about what makes them tick I'm fascinated about just the life process so success for me is 
feeling that I'm doing that and enjoying it and just loving the experience. Whether even if it's a challenging experience, even if it's something that I'm not particularly comfortable with in the moment, that I know that it's taking me somewhere. Mm. That I'm growing. Mm. Do you have Do you have any uh, stories or tales around how how life has changed for you since you took on this work? So anything like things that have, that have happened that are different than if you had done the work before? I think <clears throat> nothing is different, but everything is different. Things still happen. Life still throws curveballs and thing. You know, just we go through everyday stuff. But now how I respond to things is so different to before. Now I'll just go, oh, that's interesting. Mm. You know, I've got back a sense of um, openness and curiosity and, oh, this is interesting. Let's just explore this. My vocabulary is very different. Uh, I've taken out the shoulds and the couldn'ts and the have tos and all of those things. And now using things that uplift me so much more and and draw me in like oh that's interesting that's curious that's fascinating that's a challenge it's not a problem it's not an issue but it's a challenge oh let's just get stuck in you know all of this kind of stuff whereas before I would have been going oh no how am I going to deal with this this wow, is just wow wow that, that's, that's actually a very very you know that's a wonderful process isn't it that's a wonderful flip of that thing because you know we so many people address challenge with that, oh, how am I going to, whereas, whereas you look at it from the curiosity perspective, oh, this is going to be interesting. Now what's going to happen? And it is amazing when we can do that. And, and, I, it's, I, not, I, and it's not always easy, is it? I mean, it's not always, yeah. easy. you know, when, when the pipes burst and there's water through the ceiling, it's like, <laughs> it's just yeah, and my <laughs> there are times when obviously something will happen and my first reaction might be more of a reaction than a response yeah. but still there's a little voice at the back of my head going oh right there you've just gone <sighs> off on that tangent again let's just take a step back let's let, let's get back to uh, curiosity rather than because actually I went on a training course last year which looked at it, they called it the I, as in the I we see with. Training the course last year. Where did you go on a training course last year? <laughs> on Zoom. Oh, cool. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it was looking at the I, as in the I we see with, and the I, as in the identity, yeah. and looking at how we see ourselves in the world and how that impacts on our sense of self and our well-being and everything. And through that, we looked at each person who attended our themes in life. And I discovered that mine is overwhelm. So it gave me, because another thing that I've really uh, learned that has been so good for me is to forgive myself and self-compassion. Mm. Forgiveness is powerful and, stuff, actually. That, that is, yeah, that, and, I think that's the toughest thing of all, forgiveness. And then forgiveness of the self is even bloody harder. But I think it's so essential. But yeah. I think that doing the work that I did you know, it could take you either way. It could take you into beating yourself up. <clears throat> oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. But when you really look at why we do things and the fact that actually we are trying to, we are just doing the best that we can with the resources we have access to in that moment, yeah. then suddenly it flips and, oh, that's why I did that. In a way, I couldn't help it. I was doing my best at the time. It was just that I didn't have access to the resources maybe I have access to. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore, 
oh, and being able to see the inner child and just go, oh, that little inner child, they couldn't help it. Mm. They were doing the best they could. They, there was a reason they did that thing, responded in that way, reacted in that way. And when you look at them like a child and you think, but if that was another, you know, a real child, as in my child or somebody else's child that I was looking after, would I do the things that I do to myself? Would I say the things that I say to myself? Good question. Well, you wouldn't say those things to a child, would you? And yet we happily mm. say those things to ourselves. It's very true. Yeah. Very true. Whereas when you can start to see it just as, no, that's a child yes. that did that. Yes. Then for me anyway, that really brought huge self-compassion for me. Mm, powerful stuff. Mm. So how do you see yourself as contribution? What do you see as your contribution to the world? What I am really, really keen to give to other people is hope. Mm-hmm. Because having been in that place of despair and feeling hopeless, I, I just couldn't really imagine being in a worse place when you're really at that, when that right, right at the bottom and whatever the, the, the situation that's brought you to that place may be dire and there may be levels of that. But I think for our own sense of self and life, being hopeless is pretty much near the bottom yeah yeah, so, yeah. i mean we able... are we are phrase, you know phrasing you know, challenging times we are in really weird times at the moment and i guess there's a lot of people who are facing situations that look pretty bloody bleak and dire so yeah i, I can really hear that and if we can if we can work like yours can make a difference yeah to be able to shine a light that mm. people can see the hope and i love um oprah winfrey's quote that a mentor is somebody who helps you see the hope within yourself mm. yeah and that's why i chose mentor for my own title that's how i describe myself because that's what i think is what i have to share mm. hope mm. that whatever situation anybody might be in you can turn it around if I turned it around, anybody can turn well, it around. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we fall, we fall, but there's always some point we stop and, and there's always something, isn't there? There's, there's, most of the time the universe is out to support us. That's what I think. Yes, but it's coming to the point where we can see that. Mm, it is. Because that, yeah, years that, ago, everything was against me. Yeah. <laughs> it was not for me. And, 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 I, and I'm a firm believer is that things happen for you, not to you. Yeah, but at the time, everything was happening know, to me. I know. And it was it's, all horrendous. I, I know. It's bloody nothing impossible. supported me. It's bloody impossible to see it when you can't see it. That, that, you, yeah. you can only see it from outside. It's like, you know, when you're drowning, you're drowning. That's that's truth of it. You know. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I, I, I know it's, it's very glib of me to say this sometimes. And I do, I do kind of like regret saying some of the things I say on this podcast occasionally. But it's like, yeah, I know it's tough when you're there. But having been there yeah. and seeing that it is possible, yeah, and to a degree, we, you know, we 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 are no man an island, but at the same time, we are in our own place. Nobody else is on our journey. To be able to say from somebody who's taken that first step, yeah. feeling very much I was doing it on my own, yeah, you know, there is stuff out there that is supporting you, That's and what, so a- what you need will appear when you need it. Absolutely. And that, that's what is so fascinating. As you say, we're no man's an island. And yet 
only the man can choose to change. Hmm. You know, you, you had to choose to, to move from where you were. No one else could do it for you. Yes, they could hold your hand. Yes, they could do all sorts of things. They could say, look, come, 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 come. But you still had to do it. <laughs> yeah. Everything comes from within. Yeah. But it's knowing that within we have all those resources if we can just access yes. them. Yes. And also, I and think it, what does help is knowing that someone outside of you loves you enough to help you and move you and draw you towards them. And can see within you what you can't see in yourself yeah. so that it sparks the belief in you because mm. you start to believe in you when somebody else believes in you. That's way back in my first job, which was before I trained as an interpreter. <clears throat> uh, it was somebody seeing so much more in me than I saw in myself. And that has stuck with me always. Yeah. So even, you know, now if I have a day, like a great friend of mine calls them muddy puddle days. If I have a muddy puddle day and just everything seems like hard work or whatever, then I just remember George, his name was George seeing stuff in me that I didn't see in myself. George believed in me. Mm. George was a great man. And if he you know, as a great person, saw things in me that he thought were good, then who am I to argue in a way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So look, what's the one question I haven't asked you that I should have done? <laughs> Fire away. What is it? What's the one question? You tell me. What should I ask you that I, I didn't know. ask you? <laughs> All right, I'll rephrase it. What's the one question you like people to ask you? Um, I guess, what is it I love about what I do? Oh, that's a nice question. What is it you love about what you do then? I love seeing people light up. I love when I'm working with somebody and they just suddenly, you know, the light bulb comes on. Those connections. I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like a circuit where there are lots of pieces in place but there may just be one or two little connections that haven't quite been made yet. And when they are, the light bulb lights up. And I love seeing that. It's, it's literally one of those jaw-dropping moments where the person just stops, their jaw drops, and it's like, ah! Because it, it it's a small shift, but it makes a massive difference. And I love that we can see, because so often I think, uh, as human beings, we like to complicate things and we think that my comp my issues, my problems are big, they're complex. I'm going to need a big, complex, difficult, effortful response in order to change. But to help people see, no, you don't. You just need small, consistent steps. Yeah, yeah. And you just yeah. need to make that start. One percent, and that's day. all it is. One percent a week is still a lot of percentages by the end of the, by the end of the year. It is, particularly when they're cumulative. Yeah, mm, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what is it that you I mean, obviously I've got this this well-being naturally. What can you say what it does, how it does and, and what you're looking for and how you help people? Well, the full title of the business is Equenergy Wellbeing Naturally. And Equenergy is <clears throat> fusion of equilibrium. So balance mm -hmm. and energy, mm -hmm. because when we can get our energies back into balance, then we experience well-being very naturally. Yeah. And so that's what I do. I help people to find out where their energies are out of balance yep. and how for them as an individual, they can best bring them back into balance. So 
the, in terms of who I work with, it would be people who are feeling kind of where I was really lost, hopeless, stressed, overwhelmed, yeah. uh, exhausted, feeling like they're a square peg in a round hole. They're pushing water upstream. They're just not getting anywhere. And life just feels like it's against them. Is this like a style relationship? Is it a one-to-one coaching type of relationship or a mentoring relationship, shall I say? Yeah, I have various different ways in which I work largely one-to-one, but also yeah. I do workshops mm-hmm. that are for, uh, <clears throat> one of them uh, is, for example, feel your way from stress into flow. Mm. So it's about that feel. It's about understanding stress. It's about understanding how to get into flow and about being able to feel the difference in your body and then know how to make that shift. Um, I also do a lot of stuff around animals. So well-being for animals, because I think as well, we're known as a nation of animal lovers, but we maybe love our animals and forget about self-care and self-love. But when we understand what our animals need, then we can turn that around to understanding more about what we need too what and it's that, like what that. does that look like is that working with the owner and their pet or what does that yeah. okay and you did this you did this face-to-face or remotely over zoom sorry zoom. face-to-face <laughs> face-to-face generally <laughs> but but i have done uh was it telephone or zoom i think it yeah it was zoom with a woman in chile oh okay Okay. What is interesting is this energy work can be done remotely. Some people can, some people are amazing what they can achieve remotely. So yeah, yeah, it's quite impressive. Well, how do people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, I'm online. I've got a website, Mm -hmm. which is equenergy.com. Okay. uh, E Q U E N E R G Y. Mm -hmm. .com. And uh, if you, Put that in equenergy.com slash links dash list yep. slash then you can get to my links list or obviously just go onto the website and you can find it go along the top and uh, okay. the, there are drop down menus it's in okay. there uh, or my uh, email address is robin r-o-b-y-n at equenergy.com mm-hmm. or i'm on facebook uh, linkedin and instagram just search for equenergy Lovely. Okay. Well, those links will be at the website, Life, Passion and Business. Those on the show notes above here. So please have a look at them. If you want to get in touch with Robin, do so. So the final question that I ask all of my guests, which is the big question that, well, we're humans, we're born as animals, but you know, we kind of have this arrogance to think that we're, that we actually here for a purpose. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. I don't know. What's the meaning of life for you? My sense of purpose would be just being as much ourselves as we can, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think that we are here to experience life. I think that we are individuations of spirit. So we've left the absolute to be in the relative to have experience. So I think that we should just be open to all experiences and just to welcome them all and to experience them as fully as we can. And through that, to get to know who we really are so that we can be more and more that. So I don't think we have to have a big life-changing purpose, except that it changes our own life and therefore the lives around us anyway, Mm -hmm. when we step more into who we are and share that, allow our unique gifts to shine. Sounds perfect to me. Thank you. 
So Robin, thank you so much for your being with me today. It's been a joy to talk to you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I didn't get too geeked out, which is pretty good news. And we, we kept we kept our time reasonably tardy. So I'm really pleased with that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's been a joy. All the best. There you go. We're done. Did that go where you wanted it to? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Didn't. I didn't expect to talk about all the interpreting stuff, but... It, it's it's a, a difficult one to kind of talk about in a, a brief. I'm sure. But I think it's a fascinating conversation. Mm. And, and, and yeah. this is about your life journey, I think. And, and I think I think understanding. I can imagine you being incredibly frustrated as an interpreter, knowing full well that the people you're interpreting for were being having the piss taken out of them. I mean, that must be really difficult. Yeah. Particularly when you know you're powerless to do anything about it. You know, I, I, yeah, because that, that's then you get stuck into roles and ethics and what you're allowed to do and what you should do. And also because if I were to do that, you know, if I were to say, don't do that, that's not appropriate. I'm effectively taking power away from the deaf person again. You know, it's, but it's also a, it, you also have this thing about who you're who, who's the employer, who you who you who do you who, who's the stakeholder here? Who's paying you the money? You know, if you're not working for them, <laughs> you know, uh, it's very difficult when you're in the interpreting role. I mean, uh, I mean the same has happened with international negotiations and sort of stuff. You know, they've had lots of queries with interpreters and they've had to have all sorts of things going on in those situations because it's like, well, what agenda are they running? <laughs> yep. Whose agenda are they running? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? Because if an interpreter can interpret, uh, you know, uh, how something has been spoken, in what kind of context it has, it could make a complete difference, wouldn't it? It doesn't make me wonder it how it really does. does. Well, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. It's fascinating. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you. Um, so the podcast takes around, I mean, I don't think we're eight to 10, eight to 12 weeks at the moment. I'm not sure where, where, where it will fit. So we're talking a way away. I mean, it will be scheduled in and we'll let you know. Um, when it goes live, there will be a, a, a social media pack for you. So I'll send that out to you so you can share that. We'll share that everywhere around. Um, and I, what I've started doing now is, is running a social media cycle on stuff. So as, as thing comes live, the podcast goes live first on the Podbean app and then it goes out through the, through the, pod, through the um, podcast world. And then I give it a couple of days and I start pushing it socially from my website. So, and I cycle that roughly over eight weeks. So it'll keep coming up in social media over the next eight weeks after it's gone live. I'm not sure if it helps, but we'll, we'll give it a go. <laughs> I'm getting a bit disillusioned with social media, I must admit, at the moment. I just think it's all kind of, I don't know, really. I think it's such a difficult time to judge such things because we've been on screen for a year and people are getting really tired with it. And our relationship to it has probably changed <clears throat> drastically since the start of lockdown when we weren't. Well, I mean, podcasting has changed too, because this time last year, I was getting 500 people plus per episode and it was going up. And then as soon as we hit into lockdown, it started to tail off to around 300 per episode. And now we're sitting at around 200 per episode, 200, 200 downloads per episode within the first month. Um, and it should be over 500. Now, my only sense of that, why that's happened, is I think we've lost um, podcast listening time. People are not traveling in their cars as much. They're not doing things 
that meant they would listen to a podcast in the process. And I can think about my own situation. I don't drive anywhere at the moment. I, I, I don't go anywhere anyway. So I'm running. That's the only place I'm using the, I'm listening to podcasts. And I'm not doing the gym. I used to do gym three times a week. So I would have getting on for, I guess, you know, we're looking at three to four hours a week of podcast time. I'm down to like, might be more, maybe five hours of podcast time. I did runs as well. So yeah, I, I've halved my own podcast listening time. So yeah. I imagine if we replicate that across the world, that's why podcasts have dropped. And yeah. I guess social media stuff as well in some respects. Yeah. So it must be an interesting time for you thinking about the work you do and COVID and vaccines and all this sort of stuff that's going on. Where do you sit with all this stuff? It's interesting. I was listening to a video that was on Facebook earlier today and they were talking about how the general information that's coming out, say, from the government or whatever, is very much about, you know, wear your mask, get your vaccine. Where's the stuff about how to support our well-being instead of just take these actions, which are sometimes dubious anyway? <clears throat> But there's nothing about support your immune system by doing X, Y, Z, even though they know that there are a lot of things that we can be doing for our own well-being. Governments have a problem with this, don't they? Because it, 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 it touches into the woo-woo and they won't go there. They really won't go there. But it doesn't have to touch into the woo-woo. No. And where do you draw the line on woo-woo anyway? Well, I, don't, of... I, I have a very flexible line on woo-woo myself, so it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. You know, I, 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 you know I, I, too many... Too many batshit things have happened to me in my life for me not to realise that we are in a virtual simulation and someone's, someone's pulling the string somewhere. So, so uh, you know, to me, woo-woo is just woo-woo. It just happens. But governments, you know, like, yeah, it just doesn't fit. They decide, they decide where knowledge lies. So <clears> is it woo-woo? Is it outside of acceptable? Or is it within acceptable? And if you think about medicine, what we call alternative or complementary medicine was the original medicine yes and that was <laughs> and but it, but it, was but it, properties you said let food be your medicine it was, co so it was commercialized wasn't it and then you can't make money out of that can you <laughs> well they are i mean if you think about big pharma and how much money they're getting out of all of this no but you but, can't make money out of natural medicine that's the trouble well you can't uh patent no no that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the issue you have to concoct it in a lab when it instantly loses so much it loses the synergy with the other things that help to balance it out so then mm -hmm. you get the side effects it doesn't work as well yeah even uh there was somebody i think it was pfizer he worked for who was saying most of the medications don't actually do what they're supposed to do anyway and have you seen that you can get t-shirts that's saying well i'm i'm taking this pill for that pill for this pill for that pill blah, 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 because i didn't take a glass of water and I had a headache because I was dehydrated. So if we just drank the glass of water and had a sleep, you'd probably be fine. Got outside for a bit of natural light instead of spending all day looking at a screen. I mean, yeah, there are situations where you have no choice. I mean, my, my wife was diagnosed with Parkinson's last year. So, so you know, she, she's on L-Dopa because we had to go there. I mean, we did look at it for a while, but it got to the point where the pain, the pain got so yeah. difficult and 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 l-dopers relieved it and what it also did um parkinson's is a vicious disease it, it um it affects your brain in a way that makes you basically paranoid you just you start you get anxiety basically yeah. uh and so once you start taking the the l-dopa it 
literally changed her life. The anxiety went away. So, you know, we, we are we are where we are. <laughs> but that's yeah, a but disease that are... starts in the gut, apparently. Yeah, well, it's certainly what disease doesn't has a gut connection. Well, it starts in the, apparently um, now it was interesting. Most people that get Parkinson's don't drink enough. And my wife has never drunk enough. She's never thirsty. And that's one of the first symptoms of apparently your first precursors to Parkinson's. You don't drink enough. Well, that was I was on that road. <clears throat> 20 years ago, she wasn't drinking enough, apparently. Yeah, um, I was on that road as a child. Everybody always used to say not drinking some more. My mum mm. was always, drink. I'm not thirsty. Mm. Now I drink like a fish. Yeah. <laughs> constantly peeing. Water. Water. Yeah, I'm constantly peeing because I drink a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I run a lot too. Flushes, flushes all the toxins out, hopefully. Yeah, it certainly does, that's for sure. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed our chat today. Um, yeah. Anything else you need from me at all? No, I will just wait to hear from you when things go out and ready to share. Okay. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, I think we're, I think we're done then. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been lovely to meet you, Paul. And it's been nice to meet you, Robin. I've really enjoyed our conversation, as I said. And that was life, passion, and business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Robin Harris. So if you'd like to catch up with Robin, you can catch her at her website, eqenergy.com, which is eqenergy.com. She also has a podcast, which is Wild Wisdom Wellbeing. You can find that on Spotify. As for social media, you can find it on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. And all those links will be available at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning, now is the time to discover how to find some more focus in your life and get things done. Okay, so we're all looking to move forward. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. And if you've heard the podcast, you know I have a view of success, but that's another conversation. The point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to to move, to move forward on. And the problem is, whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way. And that can be a multitude of things. Um, But the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line? And that's where focus coaching can help. Now, it's a a process that I discovered some 15 years ago during my coach training. And it's something sometimes called focus coaching, turbo coaching, speed coaching. And it's a really simple process where we, we define what it is you're trying to achieve. And we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement, come up with some strategies to solve that resistance, commit to setting a date, and I hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that. So there's a commitment, there's an accountability process, and that's it. That's basically how it works. You get it done. And I can tell you, it is so powerful when you start working in this way, particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it. And one thing to remember, you know, success is never guaranteed, but the struggle always is. And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. So do check out the uh, link on this podcast or at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com. You will find 
a video of me again explaining this process but if you go below the video there's a booking link where we'll have a discussion about your project and how we could get you sorted as always if you have enjoyed this podcast if you found anything here of any use please share it with a friend because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts if you can give us a review give us a five-star review i have to ask a five stars why not i think i'm worth it when you support a podcast in that way you have no idea how effective it is both in terms of supporting us on the platform but it also makes us feel good yes it makes me feel good and i like to feel good as always thank you for your time and attention i will catch you next time